when you take the time to study who you are, you can't be denied because people don't deny people who understand who they are and understand their purpose. Once we take the time to really dig down, face our biggest insecurities, because that's what it calls for. You have to do the work and no one can do that work for you. Crystal Harrell is a best-selling author, motivational speaker, academic success coach, and a PhD candidate at Yale University. But it wasn't always this way for Crystal. Crystal grew up in public housing apartments with nine siblings, and after losing a parent to chronic disease, she saw education as her ticket out of poverty. Now, her popular education blog benefits thousands weekly, and her first best-selling book, Crystal Clear, inspires fellow non-traditional students to harness the power of personal growth and self-awareness to achieve their goals. Crystal's research emphasizes the interplay between psychology and spirituality, focusing on the enhancement of well-being through spiritual consciousness. In this episode, Crystal discusses how she had to escape the victim mentality to be able to escape poverty, why she's so passionate about self-development, and much more and make sure to listen in for Crystal's strategy for overcoming negative thinking. Please enjoy this conversation with Crystal Harrell. The depth and breadth you've studied is very interesting to me. So I'll tell people a little bit about an elevator pitch of your background and your studies specifically through higher education. Yeah, of course. My story started in public housing apartments in rural Alabama. Um, I was one of 10. And when I was 11 years old, I lost my father to a chronic disease. He had leukemia. And since then, I've kind of been interested in public health and chronic disease and everything like that. But I never really knew what that would look like. And so as I started to find my identity throughout higher education, that's when I started to get into human development and family studies. And then eventually that led me to public health, epidemiology, and social behavioral sciences. My goal right now is basically to use what I know about health disparities and health inequality to find a solution for more culturally appropriate interventions in public health. Wow, that's amazing. And I always say health and happiness are two sides of the same coin. And yes. we can't have one without the other. And we're, we can't truly be happy if we aren't actually healthy. And that's both mental and physical health. And because of that, I see things like social, racial, economic disparities, which stop people from being fully healthy, also stopping them from living a full expression of what I would consider to be a happy life. So where do people start if they are in that situation like you were where they don't have the foot up, whatever it is in, in whatever way, whether it's socially, economically, or in any other way, they're just in, you know, in a bad place. Where do you first start to, to start this journey? Wow, that's a really good question. And so many things popped in my head as you were talking because health is definitely a birthright. We all deserve to live a healthy life. It's not something that is reserved for a select few. And I really believe that as well. And in my research and just being in public health, that's the question. Like that's what we're trying to figure out. How do we bring health to the forefront for communities that are traditionally uh, disadvantaged. Because when you look at competing factors like crime, you look at competing factors like food deserts or food swamps, like those are things they have to worry about. So is it the public health professional's duty to bring the health front to this community or is it for the community to go out and find this? And I guess like, I don't know what the answer is to that. And to me, I feel like for the people who were privileged enough to make it out of situations where they were disadvantaged or people maybe who never had to deal with that, for someone to see an issue, 
I believe it's their responsibility to then bring a solution to the problem. And so for me, um, I can't wait for the community to get the resources that they need in order to get the health that they need. I I see it. I recognize it. I have um, the position to do something about it, to say something about it. So I serve as an advocate for, like I said, if you look at my research, you see I do a lot of research in African-American communities because that's where I came from. And I, I recognize some of the disadvantages uh, within that community. So I don't know uh, what the answer is, but I will say that it will take a community effort to make an advance. I believe that a lot of the times the people in the situations don't really know. I know whenever I was growing up, I didn't know that we were disadvantaged. I, I obviously knew that there was a difference between my family and some of the other families in my hometown, but I honestly didn't know what the risks were for growing up in a situation like that. So it's difficult to to get people to think long-term when they have so many immediate competing factors. That really is the problem. There's so much there. And obviously there's no, there's no, not even easy answer for there's There's no answer for this. And that's, you know, that's yeah. where we are as a society. And it is exactly that it's, you know, how do you get people to think about their health or their happiness even when they have yes. like a metaphorical boot on their neck to yes. just be surviving right now. And so I, I talk about this stuff a lot because I'm always like, yeah, like I, everyone should be exercising. Everyone should be eating more fruits and vegetables and everyone should be doing this stuff because I, I do believe, like I said, health, happiness, these are things, as you said, a, a human right. And these mm-hmm. are things that not just deserve, everyone should have. And I, I, th- yes. I it breaks my heart when I see people who are just like going through the motions and just living a half full life. So if you are that, that person who feels like, okay, like, yeah, it would be nice to have all that stuff, but like, I'm not in that place. Where's and what's the easiest place to start? The easiest place to start, in my opinion, is just to get educated. So you don't know what you don't know. Um, For me, when I started to learn about what was going on, then I started to recognize it in my own life. For example, um, after my father passed from cancer, I was dealing with mental health issues. I had no idea that they was related to my father's death and to, until I started studying child development. That's when I recognized that in literature, if a child experiences um, a traumatic event and it isn't addressed, it manifests itself into adult mental illnesses, illnesses like panic attacks, anxiety, depression, so many things that I was dealing with. Um, Once I recognized that, once I had the awareness through education, I started to go to therapy and to counseling. And that really helped turn my mental health around, which led to me living a healthier, like a physical healthier life um, as well. So um, I really believe that educational programs, uh, educational interventions are at the forefront. And if you look and through the literature, you'll see that the educational piece to behavioral change interventions are the most successful. So it's one thing to know, but then you have to recognize that this is what is going on. This is what I need to do in order to change this direction. Um, And I don't think that the education is is up to par (laughs) when it comes to um, getting these communities up to speed when it comes to health literacy. Yeah, for sure. As as you said, you know, is it the community's uh, responsibility? 100% for sure. But also, as you said, you don't know what you don't know, and you can't then hold it against people who aren't educated in that way. You know, people who listen to this show, uh, my listeners will, will know that I I talk about this a lot. I teach what I call the change loop. And it's, it's exactly what you say. I say change starts with awareness that, because you don't know what you don't know. So first you have to be aware that it's even a thing. Then yes. education, because we have to be educated around, okay, like, okay, now that I get that this is a thing, what can be done about it? Exactly. And then action. And that's the last, you know, and then, and then it's just kind of a loop because we're always in that, that space. And none of those pieces 
can exist without the other. Because if I just have awareness or education, but if I'm not taking action, it doesn't do any good. And I can't take action without the awareness. I can't have the education, you know, so that I think that I'm, I'm right. I'm right there with you. My question then, we haven't even gotten to the questions that I wrote down for you. Oh. I, <laughs> I love this. <laughs> so, but I think that this leads well into this because we're looking at the communal aspect and the, the macro. And I have read a lot of books on this. And this is very, very interesting to me because we can talk about things like food deserts and, and how it affects mm-hmm. the entire society. And, and people think, well, that doesn't affect me, but it, it affects everyone because it affects yes. our taxes and it affects the, the amount of money we spend on healthcare and all this crazy stuff. But I want to zero into the micro a little bit because your book, crystal clear. The the subheading is a journey of self-discovery. So my question is how important is self-discovery in someone's overall life success? It is the way. (laughs) And I, I, I'm a strong advocate for this because I say in the first, um, in the introduction of my book, like I can't show you the way, but I can show you a way. And I really believe that when you take the time to study who you are, you can't be denied because people don't deny people who understand who they are and understand their purpose. And so I think that especially, you know, I can only speak on my personal experience, but like in my own community, I see that um, sometimes we take on the mentality of the victim. And I know that I'm not going to be, I know that, you know, when people say that, you know, they're kind of like shawned a little bit. Like I know Candace Owens sometimes says this. And like a lot of people sometimes say like, we have to invest in ourselves. We have to know who we are. And so the first thing that I did in my journey of self-discovery was I wanted to find out where I came from. And I understood that this documentation was online. This documentation was in courthouses. So I went to courthouses. I pulled deeds and records. I found out who um, my grandparents were, who their parents were. I did the DNA test, like everything that I could do to find out where I came from, because in order to know where you're going, you have to know where you come from. And I wasn't going to let a society tell me where I came from. And that's when I found out like, I'm actually the descendant of an entrepreneur. So one of my ancestors, um, Joseph Levi Harrell, was a formerly enslaved person. And when he was freed, he was granted like 500 acres of land and a wallet by his uh, previous slave owner. And then he owned that farming business and he was very successful. And I even had a picture of him. And it was just like, wow, like I was always told that my ancestry was this, but I'm finding out that it's this. And so that instilled in me a level of confidence because I'm like, okay, now I know who I am. And now going forward, I know what steps I need to take in order to make an impact. And I think like once we take the time to really like dig down, like face our biggest insecurities, because that's what it that's what it calls for. You have to do the work and no one can do that work for you. Um, I I just really stand by self-awareness because I think if a lot of people had more of it, the society will operate totally differently. And self-awareness was what um, what led me to living a healthier life. I love that. That's so much that you just said there. I'm, I'm taking notes. And one, that that story is amazing about you, you know, finding out, out about your ancestry and how inspiring that that was to you. And that, that's such a cool story. But you, you said, you know, study who you are and you can't be denied. And I think that's such a powerful thing because that, that, that's how I feel about myself. It's like, I'm me and I'm unapologetically me. And that understanding and that acceptance is nothing can hurt me now because it's like, okay, like, all right, you don't like it. Well, you know, fuck off. I don't, I don't, yes. you know, like, <laughs> like this is what I'm doing. And if you don't like it, then like that, you know, that, that's on you. And, you know, but getting to that place, as you said, it is work and it is, it's not easy. You mentioned a little bit there about, you know, actually going and digging in the archives, which is amazing. I don't think most people would, you know, most people are like, well, I'm self-discovering. I did, I Googled myself or something, but you, you really went above and beyond. So what is, if, if self-discovery is, is so important, how do you even define such a broad topic? Self-discovery, in my opinion, is unlearning everything that you've been told about who you are. 
you're not discovering anything new. You're discovering who you should have been from the beginning. And so I studied sociology in undergrad. That's what my uh, bachelor's degree is in. And I found out about a concept called socialization. And basically it's a process of basically making people become a functioning beings in today's society. So everything that you are was actually told to you. Um, even the process of you discovering yourself, you're going to realize that there are some things about who you are that isn't necessarily you. For example, um, whenever I was growing up, my dad was my first educator. And so I became really interested in learning. I became really interested in reading and writing. And so when I got into school, after he passed away, I started to notice that being a high achiever in these fields were getting me, was getting me the attention that I wasn't getting at home as one of 10, as someone who just lost a parent. So I used that in order to leverage myself. But after a while, my identity became associated with being a high performer. And that was very, very traumatic whenever you whenever you start to go up and, you know, all those things that you listed in my uh, bio about, you know, getting a master's degree, then going to get a second one, like that was me trying to prove myself. But when I started the process of self-discovery, I realized that I didn't have to prove anything, that I was already worthy because of who I am. And that was like a really strong foundation because now when I'm going forward in my educational pursuits or with the impact that I want to have in this world, it isn't to prove anything to anybody. It's because I know I have a gift and I have a gift to serve to humanity. That's beautiful. One also didn't mention that you were one of 10. That's crazy as well. <laughs> um, but, you know, that's actually brings me back to, I've been thinking about this concept a lot. And it's actually just in a podcast I was listening to, and I've also been writing about it, but in psychology, they have the concept I'm, I'm probably have heard before, but I can't assume it, but like name it and claim it, putting a name to something allows you to like, so, you know, someone is like, I just don't know what all these feelings are. And it's like, oh, you have clinical anxiety. And now I have a name to put to that thing. And it's like, okay, like now I understand what's going on. Right. So, you know, I have a client who we were talking a lot and he's like everything he's, he jumps to like the the very worst conclusion. And I'm like, I'm like, have you ever heard the word catastrophizing? And he's like, no, what's that? And I was like, it's when every single situation you, you automatically go to the absolute worst is never, ever going to happen. But if it's possibly would be world ending. And like, that's right where you go. And he was like, oh, and now every day he's texting me. He's like, oh, I was, I was catastrophizing. So bringing that thing and putting a name to it allows us to have power over it. And that's exactly what you're saying. Like when you, when you were able to study who you are, you're like, oh, I don't have to be the academic. I can be crystal. And, and that allows, there's a level of, I guess, freedom that comes along with that. (laughs) Yes. That's the word. So like, like you said, like the freedom is so much, it's worth the discomfort that you'll feel as you start this journey of self-discovery. Yes. You may have to let go and shed this identity of of just being what everyone wanted you to be, but the freedom is so worth it. It's so funny that you say that because again, my listeners will know, and they'll be tired of me beating a dead horse about this, but exactly what you just said, the freedom you get is worth the discomfort. That is everything. That is fitness. That is eating right. That is reading a book. That is going to a a, a class. That's going to a weekend seminar instead of going out drinking. That is going to bed early instead of staying up watching Netflix. That's waking up early and taking a cold shower. Every single thing that we want to do to better ourselves comes with upfront discomfort. And that upfront discomfort is the friction that tries to stop us from doing it. And that's what tells that lets our brain go, hmm, no, this, this isn't a good idea. Let's 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 not do that. Let's stay where it's comfortable. Let's stay where it's safe. And just pushing past that in any way is going to allow you to find that freedom. So I, I love that, you know, that there's just so many analogies there between again, everything in life is it's, it's, it's self-discovery, but it's everything that we need to be, to be healthy and happy. 
now when I get into that being healthy and happy and self-discovery, I, I can assume that you being as successful as you are having such a, a long academic journey and things and things like that, none of this stuff happens by accident, right? You didn't go out to uh, start to you know, dig into the archives, you know, like that this stuff doesn't just happen. And I can assume that you have some type of system around goal setting and, and figuring out what it is you're going to do, why you're going to do it and how you're going to put your energy. So could you tell me about that and your decision-making process and how you go about goal setting in general? Yes. I love this question because I, whenever I go to high schools or go to universities, my, one of my like keynote, um, I guess like uh, talks is about goal setting because it's so, so important because who we are as human beings, we, we are success driven. We need to have goals. Um, I don't know if you read the book Psycho Cybernetics by Maxwell Waltz, but that book changed my entire life. Uh, Jim Rohn says a book can save you five years. And I feel like that book saved me 10 because he talked about why it's so important for us to have goals. So the purpose of a goal, first off, is for you to grow. Um, if you don't have a goal, then you're not going to be growing in the process. It's like a missile. If a missile doesn't have any coordinates to go to, it's just going to be going all around. Like there's no destination and who we are as human beings. We have to have a goal, something to strive, something that causes us to expand our awareness and consciousness. So I really believe that in my process of goal setting, I always write it down. There was a Harvard Business School study that talked about three groups of people. One group didn't have any goals. The second group had goals, but they didn't write them down. And the third group ha uh, had goals and they wrote them down. And the group, the third group that had goals and wrote them down were, I think, like 10 times more likely to accomplish their goals than the other two groups. So I'm just like, okay, like there's something to this. Um, and I really believe that the process of you making that mind to hand um combination or coordination is you getting it down and also visualizing it because when you're writing it down, you then become emotionally involved with your goal. And it's not the goal itself. It's the feelings that are generated around the goal that gets you closer to it. I know like a lot of people put labels on this and call it manifestation or law of attraction, but the, the, the real thing of it is that you don't get what you don't believe in. So every goal that you have, you're going to have to develop yourself in order to become the person that needs to walk in the fullness of that goal. Every goal that you set, like I said, is for you to grow. And so make sure you're setting goals that you believe in. And in order for you to believe in bigger goals, you have to develop yourself. That's why I said self-discovery is the way, because once you figure out that you are unlimited, that it's nothing in this world that is off limits to you, that's how goal setting is achieved. That study that you talked about, the, Har the Harvard Business Review with like the writing down your goals. I'm pretty sure I know the study or a, or a similar one, but they also said that the people, so the people who wrote the, wrote their goals down were X amount times more likely to achieve it. But what's also interesting is the people who didn't write it down were as unlikely to achieve their goals as the people who didn't do anything at all. So yes. it's like just having the goal and not writing it down did Oh, not nothing, but next to nothing and magnitudes, a difference less than what the people who wrote it down. So if you're just like, well, I know what I have to do. And I'm, I, there's no need to writing it down. The actual act, all of these things that may seem silly or arbitrary things like writing it down, things like having a journal, things like having it, seeing it visually, as you said, there's also, there's something about putting pen to paper, right? When we write it down, there's literally, we have to, we have to think about it twice. We have to think about it as we're writing it and we're reading it. So this is, this is repeating it over and over in our brain and it's, it's making it more realistic. And I love what you said about getting emotionally involved and that you need an emotion attached to the goal. So could you just expand on that a little bit more? 
Yeah. So I feel like anything that we want, it's not the actual thing. It's the feelings that we believe this event is going to give us. For example, whenever I was getting my first degree, I was like, okay, when I get this degree, I'll be happy. And that's what I want. I wanted to feel happy. I wanted to feel free. I wanted to feel worthy. And so I put all of my emotional bank into this future event. But the thing is, if I never did that, if I never realized that this event would actually lead me to becoming more expanded, uh, consciously, consciously aware person of myself, then I would have never have wanted to do that. And even now, when I set goals for myself now, like, for example, like one of the goals I have is to eventually have a TED talk. And that would be so cool. So I actually, I wish I could, you know, well, on my vision board behind me, there is, I keep it on my computer screen and I have like just little pictures of what I want to happen in my life. And one of the pictures is a TED talk stage. Um, so I imagine myself on that stage and that is me getting emotionally involved because your brain actually doesn't know the difference between something that you're thinking and something that's actually happening. So if you become emotionally involved with this, like literally like your body chemistry changes to fit that certain event. So that's why it's so important to write it down or have a visual, because if it's still in your mind, it's, you still can get there. Like you said, like just thinking about it, it's also beneficial, but there's something about seeing it. It's something about really like imagining yourself and daydreaming. And one of the things that I've gotten back to as an adult, like once I started my personal development journey was imagination um, and daydreaming, because that was a big part of my childhood. I want to stay on this topic for a while because I think this is so, so important. And I actually have I, my, the, my second episode I ever did on this podcast, I think either the second or third was all about goal setting because I think this is so huge. And to me, I teach an entire course on this. And I always say like, if you mess up at the goal setting phase, if you don't know, I there's, a, there's an art, there's a science, there's whatever you want to call it to goal setting. And if we don't get that right, we're often setting ourselves up for failure before we even start. So I want to, I want to talk about this a little bit more. And well, one, I just want to say that whole thing of what you were just saying, the visualization and stuff. The reason I love what you're saying is because to me, this is the science of manifestation. People will talk about manifestation and the energy and the universe and all this stuff. And it's like, like I could hear that and be like, well, I don't believe in that stuff. But what you're saying is manifestation, but you're, you're telling us why it actually works. Like, this is not just like, okay, like just put it out into the universe and like the universe will respond. I mean, I do believe if I had to say, if I believe that or not, I do think that, that, that the universe is real, but even if it isn't, there's a reason of your brain doesn't understand the difference between an imaginative thought and, a, and something that's real, right? It's just, everything is, our brain is just locked in a dark little box. So everything that we do, everything that it, it interprets is just its interpretation of what's going on. Same thing, a memory can be falsely made up, right? There's plenty of studies where people think they're remembering something and it's completely made up or it can be implanted into their head. And the same thing, forecasting of the future, our brain doesn't know the difference between a real memory and forecasting the future, imagining something, daydreaming something. So I think that that's super, super powerful for people to really understand. It's like, this is not just some like woo woo, hippie, whatever, like this is legitimate science and you're, you're studying at Yale. And this is, you know, this is something that cannot be overstated and it's free. It doesn't cost anything. Take a, a, a meditation break or just a relax and let your, your mind wander for a little while. I think it's a super powerful tool. So I just wanted to highlight that for a second, but I want to come back to where we we're talking about goal setting and emotion and everything like that. And I wanted to know if you could talk about intrinsic versus extrinsic rewards and how, what the, a, what those are and the difference and the way you think we can use those to our advantage. I actually never studied those. So you'll have to explain it to me. <laughs> oh, sure. Intrinsic and extrinsic rewards are simply like extrinsic being something outside of you. So an extrinsic reward right. would be like, I work out because I want to get the girl. An intrinsic right. reward is because it's something that I want to do for myself. Like you just mentioned, I wanted to graduate with this degree for my own happiness. 
And that is the, to me, that's why that's what brought up this question to me. Cause that's to me, like the definition of intrinsic, like I'm doing this for me. If, if I'm doing it for the degree, if I'm doing it for the job that I'm getting, that's something outside of me. That's something I don't have control over. That's something that like, even if it is like the degree is for me, it's really right. not free. But if the happiness that I get from the degree, that's something that's completely inside of me. So studies have shown, and people will, will say that, you know, intrins- people who can motivate themselves or who are motivated via intrinsic rewards, meaning mm-hmm. I want to exercise for the feeling I get after exercise. I want to eat well, because I know that eating well is treating my body right. And I want to treat my body right. Versus right. I need to eat well because society says I have to be a size two versus I want to exercise because again, I'm supposed to have abs or something and I'm going to be on the beach. So I'm just wondering like if in your, in your studies or in your experience, if you've seen like different examples of this and people who have found success via one way or the other. That's so interesting because I've never even thought of it that way. As much as I uh, study goal setting in this, this area, I've always looked at it from the point of view of intentions. So uh, like you, you gave the example of like working out just to get a girl or doing something that's going to make you happy. To me, the root of that is what are your intentions with setting this goal? So I have different goals in different areas of my life. Um, one goal could be personal related, uh, uh, like just a personal goal. One goal can be based on business. My intentions for having these separate goals, one is for personal fulfillment. So like example, like I would like to do outreach work and um, Africa one day. Uh, that's a personal goal for me, but a business goal is like, you know, maybe I would like to, you know, write a New York times bestselling book or something like that to me. Like it's all based on me having the intentions to expand. Um, so to me, like it's never been the actual goal. And I realized that because once you achieve this goal, you're not going to feel any different. I don't think like, at least like in my personal experience, like when I said I was going to be happy when I got this degree that ne- ne- never actually happened. Um, what happened was that I was I was so far, like so zoned out, so detached from who I actually was within the process that whenever I achieve, whenever I achieve this goal, nothing really shifted inside of me. So it's not the actual goal I feel. Um, it's the intention behind having this goal and the growth that happens while you're in the process of becoming the person who needs to see this goal fulfilled. Um, so I never thought of it that way. I'll have to go look into maybe some studies and the difference between those types, those two types of goals. It's very interesting. Yeah, you'll find a lot. There's 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 a lot out there, but that what you just said was extremely powerful in that it's the person you become on your pursuit of the goal. And as you just said, even when I got that goal, it wasn't there, right? The, the goalposts are always moving, and yes. that's you know that's something you always see is like it's like again when I graduate when I get this degree, then I'll be happy. Even if that is the true, again, internal, like I'm doing this purely for myself, purely for the happiness that I'll receive when graduating, but we don't know who we're going to be in the future. I can't guarantee, maybe again, it takes me four years to get a degree. Maybe everything has changed in my life. Maybe things are, maybe it's just like, maybe by that time I'm so burned out that I'm like, oh, finally this thing is over as opposed to that extreme amount of happiness that I think that I'm going to get. That thing of I'm doing this for the journey and for the growth that I uh, receive, you could say as I'm doing it. But I think that that shows the type of person that you are, because the type of person who feels that way is the type of person who does the type of things that you do. Whereas again, someone who is, as you just said, to write a best-selling book, there's a difference of like, I want to write a best-selling book for the, just the feeling of being able to say that I did it because like, I want to challenge myself and I want to push it versus I want to write a best-selling book so that I can have on the book jacket, number one, best, number one, New York times bestseller. And those two different things, I think at least in my experience, motivate us in different ways because one is fleeting. You know, the external thing, this again, I always use weight loss as a goal. If I'm trying to lose weight to, I want to lose 10 pounds or 20 pounds because the, the, because society says that I'm supposed to, 
don't get me wrong. Like that can motivate me, but at a certain point when it gets hard, I'm going to be like, nah, no, like, it's all right. You know, screw that. You know, this, this is hard. So how can I stay motivated or, or how, or one, how, what do you, what, what is your thoughts on motivation in general? And how do you push through those hard goals when you don't have that deep internal why? Uh, that's a good question. And um, I feel like, like you said about the goalpost is always moving. I could not have <laughs> said that even <laughs> like more clearly because it's true. Um, but the thing is, whenever I feel unmotivated, I always look for motivation wherever it is, because it's always there. It's just our awareness of it that changes. So one thing that has helped me, um, not so much these days, but especially when I was in high school and whenever I was in university and I was trying to you know, stay motivated when I had no idea who I was, I would always look for people outside of me to give me that motivation. So I I got mentors. Some mentors were actually like physical. So I actually went to some of my professors and asked them like, will you mentor me? Will you show me, you know, how to get into graduate school? And they would. Um, Sometimes, you know, you don't get the type of support that you need from the people in your environment, but you just go and ask more people. Um, The worst thing that someone can say is no. And so when when I felt like I didn't have enough motivation uh, from the people around me, I will go on YouTube. That's when I started watching videos like Les Brown at the Georgia Dome. I started watching Jim Ron. I started watching Wayne, uh, Dr. Wayne Dyer. Um, I started watching like all these people like Lisa Nichols to give me the motivation that I needed um, from my environment. And you never know what could happen because, you know, just last year I had the chance to actually talk to Les Brown and tell him my story. So that's what I mean about just like putting yourself in these situations and understanding that the motivation comes from wherever it is. But if you do not have the awareness, if you do not um, do the work to discover and to develop yourself, you're not going to see the motivation in your environment. Another way to find motivation, in my opinion, is to just read books um, about self-development and personal personal development and self, uh, self-awareness. Um, one book that's helped me is the mastery of self. And like that book gave me all the mo- motivation I needed. Cause I'm just like, okay, like knowing who you are and knowing self, knowing that I am is the key to getting any goals and staying motivated. Even when you don't feel like doing something, because you understand that your goal is just to help you grow. And to me, like having a physical like goal, like I said, I have a vision board on the back of my computer screen because I need to see it every day. Seeing those and getting emotionally involved every time I feel unmotivated is another form of motivation. So it's there. The motivation is there. We just have to develop our awareness in order to see it. I think that's super powerful that the motivation is always there. Sometimes it's not inside of us, but you can borrow the motivation from others. YouTube university, right? Just go podcast. Again, listen, anyone who's listening to a podcast like this is inherently in that world. I just want to one more time though, before we leave off the topic of goal setting, ask if you have any personal preference or guidelines around the size of goals that people set. Do we set big goals? Do we set little goals, short-term goals, long-term goals? Like, how does that work? Do you have a specific like way that you do this or, or is it all variable? I think it, I definitely think it varies. And I think that the size of the goal is related to the size of your faith and the size of the type of risk that you want to take. To me, let's say if I, I, like I said, I can only use examples from like what I know in my own journey, but if I were to have a goal about I don't know, like something that I felt like I, I wasn't good enough to accomplish, then to me, that would be a big goal. But my goal that looks too big for me to accomplish may look another way, like may look like a small goal to someone else. So I always think that it comes down to how far are you willing to grow? How much are you willing to expand your consciousness? And are you willing to have this blind faith in your goals coming true? I always like to set, I don't know, I feel like I, I get more 
comfort in setting long-term goals because the short-term goals are only getting me closer to that long-term goal, if that makes sense. So if I, if I have a long-term goal, like let's just use the example of doing a TED talk, I know that the short-term goals of developing my speech and getting training um, and becoming a more effective speaker, like reading uh, Dale Carnegie, The Quick and Effective Way to Speaking, going through those short-term goals, going through the short-term personal development situations, like that's going to get me eventually to my long-term goal. So I guess like in my own in my own journey, I'm more attached to long-term goals because to me, I, I feel like it's just, it's going to motivate you to accomplish those short-term goals. It's funny you, the way you said it, it's a, I phrase it a little bit differently, but this is exactly how I teach goal setting in my course. And it's, it's both. We need the big long-term goals to motivate us, to push us, but we also have those short-term process goals. Like you just said, if I'm, if my goal is to make it, is to have a TED talk, I can't just leave it at that. I'm not just, it's not just going to float out of thin air. I have to be doing the, then the short-term goals of taking the courses, of reading the books, of practicing every day, of giving the speeches. But if I don't have that bigger long-term goal of the TED talk, then it's like, what are all those little steps for? So it's that, that balance of, you know, I need the big goal because we need to be motivated. You said earlier that, you know, we are, we are success driven creatures. We want to, we want to strive for things, right? Humans are by nature, we, we want to do better, but if that seems like too big of a goal, it becomes self-defeating. That's the thing. That's where I think people mess up is they only have the big goal of, I want to lose a hundred pounds, or I want to start a million dollar business, or I want to be a TED talker. But it's like, if you don't have the things that get you there, if you don't know the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, that are going to take you, it's going to take a year or two to get you to that big goal. That's when you get frustrated. You think you're just spinning your wheels and you kind of end up talking yourself out of it because it's like, well, like this is never going to happen anyway. Yes, I totally agree. And it, it brings me back. Um, I don't know if you read the book or like studied the seven universal laws, but it takes me back to like one of them called the law of gestation, where everything takes time. But the process of you discovering who you are and discovering what's possible for you, the process of self-discovery shortens that time. So like you said, like setting a big goal for like making a million dollars. Well, if you aren't reading books about financial literacy, like Rich Dad Poor Dad or like some of the other books, that that time frame is going to be even longer or may even elude you because you haven't done the work to actually get closer to that goal. So everything, yes, everything does take time, but I do, I do believe that the universe loves speed. Um, I do believe that when you start setting goals that the universe is on your side, the universe, God, source, whatever you choose to call that um, infinite intelligence or infinite power, like it's on your side because it is what you are. But if you don't know that, then you're going to feel defeated even before the goal is set. So you have to work on yourself. You have to take the time to educate yourself because awareness is the first step. But action is what brings those dreams um, into reality for you. For sure. I love that. The universe loves speed. That's exactly it. You know, we can't rush these things, but we also can't sit back and wait for it to happen. And momentum is a huge thing. And that's why those small, those small goals are necessary in the pursuit of the bigger goal, because we need to tell our brain that it's winning. Everything comes down to evolution and your brain has, has made us great at surviving. And one way that it survived is it likes to be right. It doesn't like to be wrong. So if I'm every day setting a goal of I'm going to be a millionaire and every day I wake up and check my bank account and I'm not a millionaire, it's like, I'm telling my brain, well, you're, you're wrong. You're dumb. You're wrong. You're dumb. And eventually it's going to go like, okay, like, I'm just not going to have this goal anymore. Clearly this isn't working. But if I am at least making a little bit of extra money, or as you said, I'm reading books on financial literacy, I'm doing something that's going to push me in that direction, at least I get to stay on the path. And I, the whole job is to just not quit because yes. if you can stay 
the path, if you can just keep going and not give up, most people just quit. That's it. That, that really is the long and short of it is most people get frustrated. They give up, they quit after two weeks, two months, two years, however long it is, they go, no, like this isn't working or, or no, that like, I, I can't do this anymore. And if you can just stay on the path and not give up, you're already ahead of 98% of the people. So how do you think about that? like the negative thought spiral that people get themselves into where, where a, a mm. negative thought leads to another negative thought and it, people talk themselves out of things a lot. So what can people do if they catch themselves? Again, I, I brought up the word catastrophizing before or something like that. Oh, that's such a good question. And I've been studying this a lot. Um, there's a Dr. Daniel Amen. Um, he did a, he did a Ted talk. Well, not a Ted talk. He actually did a podcast with Tom. He's the creator of impact theory. I literally and just he, finished his book yesterday. The, stop. <laughs> change your brain, change your life. I literally just, yes, it's yeah. on my uh, list of books that I want to read. I forget, <laughs> but I want, I want to read that. So thank you. I need to just go ahead and get it. But I, I was listening to his, his talk with, with Tom and he says something about ants and it's automatic negative thoughts or automatic negative thinking. And he talked about how you really have to squash those. Like, honestly, like all you have to do is just challenge them. Like a lot of people, when they get into their negative thinking pattern, they don't actually challenge those thoughts. So one example that Dr. Amen talks about is just confronting it. So let's say you have a thought that this will never work out. Well, challenge it. Ask yourself, do you know that for a fact? Is that true? Do you know that this will never work out? And then you'll, you can say, well, not really, because I've never tried it before. So, you know, that's another one. And then you say, then you challenge it with another question. What if it does work out? And what if it actually works out better than what you thought it would? You can change the thought. You can change your thought patterns as quickly as you change your clothes. Um, but if you don't have the awareness of that, then you won't know that you have that superpower. Um, it's really there. And I can honestly say that, like I get into those times where I start, you know, watching the news, like I don't have a TV either. So my television, when I started writing my first book, but I was on YouTube watching videos about like what's going on with politics and stuff. And I literally like caught myself in this downward spiral, just getting consumed with everything that's going on in the world and trying to save the world. And that really like was going to stop me until I woke up the next day and I, I started reading books again. I started reading uh, the one I'm reading now is called the power of awareness by Neville Gardner, I believe. And so I started reading that one and that helped me get out of that spiral or out of that like negative thinking pattern because it changed my thoughts. And it reminded me that, wait, I know who I am and I know, you know, what's possible for me. And I know that my external world does not determine what I feel internally. You, you live life from the inside out. And I think like, especially in today's world, we, we really tell people that what's going on externally, like what you look like, what degree you have or what job you have, like that it's more valuable than what you have going on inside. And it's just not true, you know? Love that you live. We live life from the inside out. I think that that's super powerful. I think that that everything that you just said is so true. Crushing ants. You can look up, uh, yeah, Dr. Daniel Amen or Jim Quick talks about this a lot as well. And I think that that's a great place to leave this. So as we start to wrap up, the last question that I always want to ask all of my guests is, if there's one piece of actionable actionable advice, one action step that people can take right when they finish this podcast to start living a healthier, happier life, what would that be? 
Um, I said in the beginning, you have to start the process of self-discovery and a lot of people tell you what to do and they don't tell you how. So I'll, I'll share with you something that helped me. It's I started to read books and I know a lot of people don't really like um, reading, but there's also audio books. So you mentioned Paul, uh, Think and Grow Rich. That was the first book that I read in my journey of self-discovery. Um, I've studied people who went from humble beginnings who, you know, started, you know, making millions of dollars, who become, who became really successful people. Like the, some of the people I mentioned, Les Brown, Jim Rohn, they started literally with nothing. Um, and I wanted to know how, like I literally studied these people and I found out that they started reading books like Think and Grow Rich, um, like The Power of Awareness. Like they literally just took the time to understand themselves and that led them to success. And success is the worthy um, realization of a goal. And so you really have to take the time to get to know yourself. So I would say um, if you can, um, start reading the book, Think and Grow Rich. Um, I believe the audiobook is also on YouTube as well. Just start listening to, and you don't have to listen to the whole thing. Just tell yourself, okay, first 10 minutes, first five minutes, and just start and see what happens. Yeah, I mean, I can't agree more. I mean, that exact book is what what I changed my life and opened me up to this entire world of personal development, personal growth, whatever you want to call it, that 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 it all started there and for me I've read hundreds of books since then. I can't, you know, restate what you said enough. There's so much in here, but as you just said, just start. Just start with anywhere. Start with it the smallest step. You do not have to read 60 books. I'm not telling you to do that right now. I'm telling you to put on an audiobook while you walk the dog. I'm telling you to while you're, you know, just change for one thing while you're doing the dishes. You know, have your have your headphones in and listen to 5 minutes and just see where where you can take it from there. So I I think that that's that's so powerful and obviously super actionable. That's it for today. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode or got value from it, you can support the show by sharing it with a friend and giving them the gift of a happier, healthier life. You can also leave a rating and review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. That helps boost the show on those platforms so more people can discover it and we can all grow together. I'll see you back here every Tuesday and Thursday morning. And until then, stay happy, stay healthy.